out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest this week. It's going to be the turn of the singer Terry Blackwood, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry. One time member of the kind of, uh, I suppose, Christian pop act, the Imperials, but also um, sung with Elvis Presley during his Las Vegas period of the late 60s, early 70s. I know we like to uh, vary our guests. So, um, yes, this is the interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. Terry, tell us that. Tell us more. Tell us everything. Over to you. Well, my my father was an original member or a founding member of a group called the Blackwood Brothers Quartet. Uh, they were a, uh, a, a three brothers who got together and the oldest brother's son, uh, and they started a quartet. In fact, my father used to introduce the group and say, we are the only group you will ever see, or see who has three brothers, two uncles, two nephews, a father and a son. it's because the oldest brother was 20 years old when his youngest brother was born. So by the time James, the youngest brother was born, the oldest brother Roy had had a son named RW. So the original quartet was Roy, my father Doyle, James, the youngest brother and Roy's son RW. Yes. So I was raised in a musical family of gospel music. Of all, it's all I've ever known. I was raised in church. I accepted Christ when I was 12 years old. I walked down the aisle and received Christ into my life. And little did I know that several years later, I would be opening on a stage in Las Vegas, Nevada with Elvis Presley. Yes. Uh, we Be- never called Elvis. We never called him. Oh, I wanted to tell you about a little bit about my history because... I started piano at the age of seven. I studied classical music for 12 years, all the way through college. Yes. I had no aspirations of ever singing because I just thought that I'd be playing piano all of my life. But when my voice changed around 14, I started to sing in Sunday school at our church, and people began to take note that, hey, this little guy can sing, so... (laughs) I started singing in Sunday school and in church, and uh, and so I went on through uh, college singing in uh, the opera workshops, and uh, got my degree minor in uh, music the- music theory. Yes. And uh, one uh, three months after I left college or graduated, I got a call from the Stamps Quartet to sing with the group. No, I'm I'm sorry. One year after I I was in college, I got the call from the Stamps, and I sang with them for a year and a half. Traveled around the country, all through Europe—not Europe, but Canada—and yes. all over the western part of the U.S. And after a year and a half, I decided I wanted to go back and finish college, so I did. So three years later, I I graduated from University of Memphis. And three months later, Joe Muscao of the Imperials called me and asked me if I would sing with the group. So 
my career has always been music. It's always it's always been my life and my calling. I think God called me to sing and to play. And uh, I've tried my best to be faithful to that calling. Yes. And the, the thing is, how many groups would have loved to sing with Elvis Presley? But the interesting thing is, Elvis called us. He said, uh, he called one morning when, when we were, Live when we were our offices were in Nashville, Tennessee, and Joe Muskeo, our manager, happened to be in the office early that day. And the phone rang before, and it, it happened before we even got there. And Elvis called and said, "Joe, I, I've been listening to the Imperials sing. Uh, I've, I listened to your first two records, New Dimensions, and Imperials now, and I love." your group. I would love to have the Imperials join me in Las Vegas in July. And this was in May. So he said, I would love for you to come in July and open with me in Las Vegas. Well, he said, well, Elvis, let me ask the guys. He looked around the empty room. <laughs> there were none of us there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he said, uh, guys, would you like to open in Las Vegas with Elvis? And it was just dead silence. He got back on the phone with Elvis and said, Elvis, they all nodded yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so he said, uh, we'd love to join you in July. Yes. And when you, I mean, having sort of, um, yes, went to school, went to college and, and sort of devoted your life to music. What sort of period, when did you, did you leave school at sort of 16 or was it kind of 18 when you were at that stage? Because I'm not quite sure what the educational system of the the USA is like compared to the UK. I think, uh, I think I graduated at 17 and I went right into my first year of college at 18. Right. And, and what... I, I started in Business business administration. Yes, I didn't even start in music. And and what um and what sort of year was this? Was this kind of because I have absolutely no idea. Um, so yes, was this nineteen fifty something? Was this the kind of fifties that you? Saw? Well, I'm I'm, I'm I'd be in the early sixties. I'm I'm considerably older than you, <laughs> but I I feel great. I in fact this morning I just did forty five push ups. Oh, well then. <laughs> I have to say that's that's I'm impressed because frankly I can do 10 to 15 and then I have to put go on my knees and keep doing them. But you know, I'm I'm so, I'm, I'm getting there. I mean yes, well that's yeah, good sort of a good body, good mind, good spirit. That's the main thing, isn't it? Really, you have to um keep right, it all going right. because otherwise um things start to get a bit sort of creaky. But did you when you were growing up, did you when because obviously Elvis was, you know, such a sort of figure during this sort of I suppose the the 50s did he sort of influence you much on the music front did you take much interest in people like Elvis or Little Richard or sort of Buddy Holly Eddie Cochran any of these kind of characters or or were you sort of well actually I I, I didn't I was not an Elvis Presley fan I, I I I was basically into gospel music and church music. And uh, I know that in Memphis, uh, there was quite a following of when Elvis uh, started his career, 
he became very famous in Memphis, and a lot, and several of the other Memphis artists uh, were quite popular. But it, I never really developed an appreciation for Elvis until I, until I started singing with him. Mm. And uh, that's when I really appreciated just what a great singer he was and a great entertainer. Uh, but, you know, you also have, you had several other uh, black uh, rhythm and blues singers in uh, in Memphis who were doing quite well, too. Yes. Um, well, the, I, I guess, I mean, for, for us, you know, I remember sort of people like the, I suppose the Rolling Stones would often talk about all the kind of B.B. King and uh, Robert Johnson. Yeah, B.B. King was who I was thinking of. Yeah. Right. And and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't know it, but uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, is it Keith? Richards, the guitarist? Yes. He is a huge fan of James Burton, the lead player for the lead guitar player for Elvis. Of course, yes. I he he I think I've I've recently seen um when he's been touring, I think this was last year in America, he'd have a in his changing room, I think he had a photo uh, a picture of James Burton and um would be playing sort yeah. of Elvis records because you know these the, this is the uh, these are the people that uh, people like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and you know all grew up listening to and being very excited. So when as the sixties right. as the sixties progressed, did you were you kind of interested or at all influenced by that kind of the birth I suppose of the teenager and that I suppose there was a, quite a cultural revolution that happened, you know, from sixty three throughout because you know you had you know, popular music kind of became such a thing and, and the birth of a teenager was kind of a, such a thing during that period with people like the sort of the Beatles and the Stones and then obviously the American bands and, you know, things just radically changed. Did did that Was that something that you were aware of or were you sort of on quite a different path at this stage? Well, when, when I went to Vegas, I... Um, uh, I, I really uh, gained a, a new appreciation for rock and roll music, which I had not followed in the past. Uh, it's funny because in Las Vegas, Elvis was in the big room, and you had a superstar in the in the smaller room, the lounge, uh, Eddie Cochran and the CC Riders. Yes, you heard of him? Yes, definitely. Yes, and uh, and Red Fox was in the lounge. Um, there was a young group called Beverly and Cedro and the Beverly's Armadas. So th there were, um, at that time, of course, Frank Sinatra was big at the Desert Inn and, and uh, several of the, the big names, Big, big Damone and uh, uh, I can't think of their names right now. Uh, I suppose there was people but, like... Uh, yes. I, I was thinking of people like Dean Martin, and you mentioned Frank Sinatra, and obviously yeah. there was a, other people. Dean I think Martin. Shirley Bassey and Tom Jones was also sort of doing their little bits and pieces there as well, weren't they? As well as, um, yes, the birth, right. I, I suppose. So did, I mean, from your gospel background, did Vegas and Elvis, did that feel like a natural fit? Did you think, because in retrospect, obviously things always can be quite different, but at the time, did you think, mm, not quite sure if I really want to get involved in you know the the world of Las Vegas and the, that that sort of mafia association and a certain amount of um, I suppose you know at that time there was a certain sleaziness to it. So I just wondered if it was kind of did you have a, any doubts of you know wanting to perform in Vegas with Elvis at this when point? I, 
when I got there, uh, uh, it just seemed like a natural uh, marriage for us because Elvis uh, grew up singing gospel music as well. He was he raised up in a little church in Tupelo, Mississippi, called First Assembly, singing the same songs that I sang in Memphis, and and he loved my family, the Blackwood Brothers Quartet. In fact. When he and his parents moved to Memphis to a little uh, the project area called uh, Lauderdale Courts, he started coming to our church and listening to my family sing. So he was familiar with with our music as we were with his music. And I think that our music kind of influenced him in the direction of the style of music he wanted to do just as his music influenced our style of music. Yes. So I think for us, it was a natural progression of, uh, of a marriage of two different styles who merged into one major force. Because when you heard Elvis sing, he sang with such power and such uh, feeling and emotion. And he got that from the gospel music he heard from my family many years before that time. Yeah, and when you, because um, obviously you'd been around from the from childbirth, from basically being born to to um, that moment, surrounded by singers. I mean, so you'd obviously got quite a, a feeling for the voice. I mean, how did how did you kind of feel, or what how, what was your kind of reaction when you heard Elvis singing, especially you know in the same space? Did that was there something quite different or special about Elvis or did you, you know, I just was kind of curious how, how that sort of resonated with you. Well, I, I will say that we've worked with uh, several artists. We worked with Pat Boone. We worked with Carol Channing. We worked with several artists. Uh, but when Elvis walked on the stage, there was a charisma there that no other artist we ever worked with had and and uh, i was taken by the power of his charisma on the stage and a lot of that was because of the influences of the blackwood brothers and the gospel quartet influences plus the prayers of his mother his mother was a devout christian and she prayed for elvis every day and uh, Elvis um, achieved the level of success that no other artist has ever achieved. And I think a lot of that is due to the prayers of his mother and the dedication of Elvis to be the very best singer, entertainer that's ever lived. Now, he didn't go around, to, he didn't get into the business to be a, to be a star. Mm -hmm. You know that the first record he ever made was a little record at Sun Studios he made for his mother. And and he took that song to his mother and, he, and let her hear it. And it so happened that Sam Phillips, who was the head of Sun Records, was in the recording room and heard him sing. And Sam had been looking for a white guy who sounded black. And he couldn't find one <laughs> anywhere. You know, all of your black singers sounded black, but all of your white singers sounded white. <laughs> so here was this young white guy who sounded black, and he was so good looking. And Sam said, son, 
I would love to sign you to a label. So he signed him to Sun Records and started doing a few of those cover tunes like Hound Dog and all those all those tunes that that he really didn't want to sing. But when he took his white influences uh, onto a song that was recorded by black artists, it just resonated with the white audience and the black audience in Memphis. And all of a sudden, he was a major star in Memphis. And then he started taking taking his music uh, all over the South. And he actually wound up singing in a lot of these country music venues. And he looked kind of funny standing up there in his suit. Right, right after Hank Snow had sung, <laughs> but the people, the the young girls especially, just took to him immediately, and uh, that's when Colonel Parker found him and uh, convinced him to sign with him, and and so the Colonel uh, worked a deal with Sam Phillips so that he bought us Elvis's contract. And from then on, it was just history. Yes, and just to get an, an, an idea of the, the sort of period of Elvis in, in Vegas, had he, was this kind of, because they built the International, hadn't they, and they signed Elvis as their kind of star attraction. Had he been, when did he first start performing in Vegas? Well, he had, he had uh, I think it was, I had heard that, Back in the uh, mid '50s or early '60s, he he opened at a theater downtown Las Vegas, and he was beginning to make a name for himself. And when he when he opened in Las Vegas downtown, the older audience didn't like him at all, and in fact they pawned him. They they they, they gave him bad reviews. So he left Vegas with his tail between his legs, thinking he'd never go back. Well, in the meantime, he started having major, major hits on the radio. Yes. And so in 1969, uh, the International, which had just opened, wanted to bring Elvis out there because it was the biggest arena in the entire town. And... Elvis was reluctant to do it because he had been such a failure before. Uh, but he did reluctantly agree to do it, and that's why he wanted the best groups he could get. And he got the Sweet Inspirations and the Imperials and the TCB Band. And he came out there and tried his best to put on the best show he could. Yes. And I have to tell you, opening night, when he walked backstage with us to the back of the stage... He was as nervous as a cat. <laughs> he was so afraid that they weren't going to like him then. And he would, he would stand back there and say, oh, man, I don't know if they're going to like me. They didn't like me before. And we had to assure him, reassure him, that these people were going to be hugely attracted to him and his music. And it's funny you think of Elvis as this confident almost cocky guy, but he was not. He was very insecure at times and insecure about his music. He always wanted the people to love him, but he didn't know if they would until he stepped down on stage. Yes. That's, that's kind of interesting because I've done a in, lot. In the, sorry, after you. 
Yeah, and so what I'm saying was back then they had these flash cameras, you know, with the big bulb flash, flash bulbs. Yes. And he was backstage, and we were talking to him, trying to reassure him. And he was, of course, as like he always did. He was, his fingers were twitching, and he was nervous and upset and unsure. And uh, when he walked out on stage, every light bulb, every flash bulb in the in the house went off at the same time. <laughs> and you should have heard the cheers that he got when he walked on stage. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously... With it, a, it was amazing. Because there were a lot of artists, I mean, and, and it's interesting about when you said about nervousness, because I think when mo- a lot of people start and people I spoke to, they're often in that late teens, early 20s. So there's there's that combination of kind of youthful naivety kind of and, and arrogance, which you kind of need. But as you get older, doubt starts to appear and you start to question things. And it's very difficult to take that kind of thought process out. So I think, and Elvis had obviously had that kind of early success and then a lot of the films and then sort of, I suppose with people, you know, with the the next wave of uh, the the youth culture coming through, they, you know, every youth culture wants their kind of heroes for what you know for whatever purpose. But you know the you know like the Beatles and the Stones and Elvis obviously started to look a bit like, you know, you know, not past it, but certainly probably um, from a different period. And I, you know, and and there was a few kind of times I think he kind of doubted himself a lot of the relevance and where he stood in popular music because obviously he wasn't going to get involved with the, I suppose, the kind of hippie culture because, you know, that wasn't his style. So I guess it was quite a big thing. Like you said, there was probably a lot of doubt and and sort of wonder if he's still relevant and whether anybody still likes him. And I guess with every performer, there's a strange kind of... There's both an arrogant, there's a both an ego and a, and an insecurity that goes together that are needing to be loved, but at the same time, wondering if it's going to be reciprocated. Exactly, exactly. And yes. with and with the band, now, I would say that a lot of a lot of the major artists like Frank, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, those guys were great singers. And great entertainers, but I don't think they, I don't know, I, I don't know what their personality was because I never met them, but I do know that Elvis was a very humble guy. I, I know that during the course of his life, he got a little off track and he began to get influenced by other people, but the heart of Elvis was always a good person a very uh, loving person and one who always wanted to please his audience. And so as far as that goes, I've always been a huge Elvis Presley fan and I will, I will forever thank him for what he did for us. But actually God put us together. God uh, impressed upon Elvis to call the Imperials and God put us together. So I'm, I'm so pleased about that. Absolutely, and when and with the with the band, I mean, it, this was kind of a very different band than the one he'd started with. What was the dynamic and the rehearsals? What was that atmosphere and uh, kind of energy like when you started to um, sort of get together and go through the set and different numbers? Well, there was an excitement in the air because he he had hired uh, the best black 
vocalists he could find, the sweet inspirations. He hired the best guitar player he could find, James Burton, the best bass player he could find, Jerry Schiff. Ronnie Tut was an animal on the drums. I've never heard a drummer like Ronnie Tut. And then he had uh, the first pianist was Larry Mahoborak. But Larry uh, was doing session work. So after a month with Elvis, he decided he didn't want to do it anymore. So uh, James called Glenn D. Harden to fill in. And Glenn was there for the remainder of the, of the time that, that, he, that he was with Elvis. So I would say that we had the best band that money could buy. And he had the best singers money could buy. Yes. And it was all backed up by a 40-piece orchestra. So you can imagine what a huge sound it was. I mean, it, it, and then he had uh, he had uh, Millie Kirkham singing the high notes. So if you if you ever saw Elvis, that's the way it is. That's the way it was. Yeah, it was powerful. I would imagine it was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, having that amount of you know musicians and singers and and uh, both as a sort of sonic a sonic experience musically, you know, and also sort of visually, because it was quite a big run. Because did you play, did you sing with him between, was it 66 to kind of 71? So that was a good four years together. Yes, we did. uh, We did the, uh, several of the songs on the How Great Thou Art record. And we, we, I can't recall all the, rock and roll tunes we did from then until 70 till 69 but after that point we did every song that he put on tape and so i mean our resume is quite long of our association with elvis yes absolutely and the songs that we backed him up on and how many yeah i mean how many dates were you roughly playing a year all sort of in total with that kind of chapter of your life i just wondered um Yes, I've, I've kind of got a vague idea, but you would know more than I do. When we opened in Vegas in 1969, we did shows a night. We did an 8 o'clock show. We had a break at 10. We came back at midnight and did a midnight show. We did that every night for a month. And occasionally on a Sunday afternoon, we would do a matinee. So if you're thinking two times... 28, that's 56 shows plus four matinees. That's 60 shows we did the first month. And we did that twice a year with a no night off. Every night we worked. And then there was one year in 1970 where we did, we did another uh, series of shows with Jimmy Dean. <laughs> it was funny because we closed with Elvis on one night, and the next night we opened at another another theater across town with Jimmy Dean when we were there for a month as well. <laughs> so in the month of 1970, I was in Vegas for four months. Wow. Four months. You must have, um, yes. With no nights off. <laughs> yeah. and, how did you, and how did you manage your vocals and, and sort of just, yes, on the on the voice? Did you have to take particular care or were you um doing more exercises or how did you how did you work that because most people have quite a lot of problems after a while don't they i never sing harder than my voice will allow 
but I but I have found that with me, the more I sing, the better I sing. Right. And so I got stronger the more I sang than had I just uh, stayed off for two or three weeks. So for me, it was better for me to be singing every night and not straining my voice because they, it's easy to get Vegas throat because it's so dry out there. Yeah. But what you do is you drink a lot of water and you just don't over sing a song. And by the time I left there, my voice was ama- was amazingly strong. Mm. And uh, I find that even today when I'm in my car, I'm singing in the car. I'm, ne- I'm not giving up my voice out of uh, getting older. I feel like my voice is as strong as ever. I may have, I may have, in fact, it may be a little deeper and fuller than it used to be. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I guess these things do sort of um, alter with age. And how did your relationship with the the great colonel, did you have to do much kind of, you know, um, negotiation or dealing with the colonel, or was that something that didn't happen that much? We didn't talk to the colonel. We talked to uh, his assistant, Tom Diskin, and Diskin was the gentleman in the group and he he made all he did all the negotiations with the group and with the sweet inspirations and the tcb band and the colonel uh, just told tom diskin what to tell us so uh, as far as our relationship with the colonel we really didn't have one but that's okay we we understood that the colonel wasn't a people person he was he was a business guy and he did his very best to make Elvis the biggest star he could. Yes, absolutely. And did you and and did you find that every show because you were doing two and two a night sometimes for you know a month? Did you find that the audience was always really on it? You know, and and the atmosphere was was electric. I never saw a crowd when we were with him that wasn't electric. Those, some of those people had saved their money for years to see Elvis Presley, and they were going to enjoy it with everything they could, and they did. I mean, I, 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 those crowds were just electric, every one of them, and everything Elvis did, they, they loved, and he, um, he would have probably sung another hour if this. <laughs> But the casino wanted the people out there gambling. Yes, absolutely. but uh, Elvis, Elvis, Elvis always gave it his very best when he was on stage. Yeah, <clears throat> and I how did, and how were you finding you know Las Vegas? Because obviously it's very different now. But then there was that sort of the mafia moment. There was also the Howard Hughes time, and and obviously Vegas was changing quite a lot from the 60s into the 70s. Did you did you sort of enjoy sort of staying and living in Vegas during the, those months? I enjoyed it. I, I, I uh, having been raised in church, the first thing I did was find a church in, in Vegas. And believe it or not, there are churches in Las Vegas. Yes. Big churches. Uh, but my schedule was I would finish the show at 2 in the morning, I would get back to my room unless Elvis called us up to the penthouse where we would stay there till five. 
but if we if we weren't called to the penthouse, I would go back to my apartment. We had we each had little apartments with a kitchen, a living room, and a bedroom and a bath, of course. <laughs> and um, I would sleep till maybe eleven ish or eleven thirty. Get up, make me some make something to eat, and get out. There's a there was a tennis court in the middle of the uh, of the uh, motel. And we guys would play tennis during the afternoon. God, that sounds beautiful. And, uh, yeah, so then after after tennis, which was like 3 or four, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, then I would take a shower, get ready to get something to eat, and go back to the casino for the uh, 8 o'clock show. We did that almost every night for a month. And I tell you what, I never felt better in my life. And at that time, I weighed 128 pounds, David. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bet 128 you. 128 pounds. Excellent. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you were in very good shape. I'm, I'm sure your core, your core work, your core stability, um, yes, would have been very good with your tennis playing, you know, going and twisting and, and uh, sprinting. Yes, it does It does make quite a difference even. And also, it's probably quite hot, so you would have sweated an awful lot of. Do you, can you remember what motel you were staying in? Uh, it was a motel called the Bally High, and I think they tore it down. It was um, because yes. the land was more valuable than the motel. Yes, I'm sure. But it was called the B A L I H A I Bally High. Yes, it was right behind the Desert Inn. And <laughs> what's what's so weird is we stood there looking out of Elvis's penthouse all over all over the desert. Nothing you could you, you could see. Hardly any houses, nothing but desert. It had we had any kind of foresight at that time, we should have just bought some of that desert land. <laughs> <laughs> yes, every every bit of it is now turned into a subdivision. <laughs> it's um, yes, a very with a very massive yeah. hotel. Did um as as you were sort of seeing that sort of I suppose the yes people wanting to see Elvis backstage. Did you get to sort of also interact with a lot of i don't know other singers and musicians or film film people who wanted to see elvis at that stage or was that something that didn't sort of come into your sort of orbit of um yes in, at the hotel well opening night we had opening night we were standing there and there on the front row was sammy davis jr the entertainer and at sammy loved elvis and he was right down front, center stage, right in the middle of uh, of the show. Elvis walked over to Sammy, took off one of his rings, and he handed it to Sammy. <laughs> Sammy was just so excited about the interaction he had with Elvis. Yes, but imagine. also during that show was uh, Cary Grant, Juliet Prowse. Almost every Hollywood entertainer that could be there was there for opening night. But as far as my interaction, the only time I really interacted with 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 any of them was I just met them, but I didn't really talk to them. Uh, but one night at the penthouse upstairs, we were standing around the piano with Mama Cass of the Mamas and the Papas. Yes. And we were standing around the piano singing Amazing Grace. We sang all four verses. 
And as we were singing, I looked over at her and she was crying. And when we finished the song, it was just this hush over the whole uh, the whole room. And nobody knew what to say because they looked at her and she was crying. She said, Elvis, I haven't sung that song since I was a little girl. It, it touched her that much. Yes, Powerful stuff, actually, isn't it? Very powerful. Did you ever... Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that Elvis was kind of quite apprehensive and nervous on that opening night. Did that change at all, or was there always a sort of sense of nervous energy and anticipation before each show? I think I think uh, gradually it got better because he he had decided that he was not going to be rejected like he was before. So I think he changed his attitude somewhat and, and realized that uh, he really was the star that, that the people wanted him to be, but he never really lorded it over us. He was always respectful Mm. and appreciative of what we contributed to his show. So for that, I'm very grateful. Absolutely. Elvis is the only entertainer I have ever worked with who could sing a ballad and sing it so well and turn right around and sing Hound Dog and sing it and sing it just as well. I don't know of any other entertainer in my life that could do that for an hour for an hour show twice a night Elvis Presley was the only one that I knew that could do it yes absolutely and did and when it came to your you know the end of your sort of um, working with Elvis was that sort of June 1971 was that the sort of summer of 71 that um, you parted waves waves yes uh huh had you had was that sort of in the contract or had you, you know, one of the different parties that decided that you were going to change direction? Well, the the story is at that time, the Imperials were sought after by every, every promoter and every sponsor in the nation. And since Elvis only worked two months out of the year, that gave us 10 months where we weren't doing anything unless we were working with Jimmy Dean. So the owners of the group, Jim Murray, Armin Morales, and Joe Muskeo, got together and they decided, you know, we would love to stay with Elvis if he would just let us do our other things when we weren't with him. But I don't think he, I don't think the Colonel liked that idea. Yes. He wanted he wanted the group that was available any time he called them. And so the guys made the difficult decision that they needed to leave Elvis and go to Jimmy Dean and then fulfill the contracts that they had already signed to do gospel concerts all across the nation. Mm-hmm. So I think looking back on it, it was a bad decision. Uh, we should have stayed with Elvis, but we it wasn't my it wasn't my decision. Yeah. Uh, it was a decision of uh two the two out of the three guys said, you know, we need to 
we need to work the whole year and not just two months of the year. So the decision was made. It was a very difficult one, too, because none of us wanted to leave Elvis. He was always so kind to us and so appreciative of us. Uh, and and the, the the strange thing was that six months later, he did Aloha. Elvis, I mean, Aloha from, let's see, what was it called? Elvis from Aloha, Hawaii. Right. And had we stayed six more months, we would have been on that. Oh, <laughs> yes. Did that, did, can you remember the last night, the last concert you did with Elvis in Vegas? Actually, I don't. Um, I, I really don't remember the last one. It was, uh, they're all run together, you know, we did so many. Yes, I could have uh, Two shows a night, two shows a night for two months out of the year, and we did that for two years. Plus, we did some, we did some tours. We did a West Coast tour, and we did, we did the Astrodome in Houston, and we did Denver, and we did so many concerts with Elvis. I, um, that was one of my regrets is is leaving Elvis, even though uh, I wanted to stay because he was so kind to us and I loved singing with him. Yeah. I think I really do think that we made him a better singer because he loved the sound of the Imperials. And I think he wanted us to stay. Uh, but. We made the decision to leave, and we stuck with it. I know it's always you, yes. These these are these are difficult, tricky moments, aren't they? You know, one can replay them in your mind, yeah. but um, you have to make right. the call. Was that the last time you saw Elvis during that? No, uh, no, it wasn't because after we worked with, we opened uh, with Jimmy Dean not long after that at the Desert Inn, and it was not several weeks later that. With with Jimmy, we opened the show. We did three songs, and then we would back Jimmy Dean up in the show. And uh, there were several nights that Elvis would come come over after he, uh, if he if he wasn't working, he would come over to see the show. And one night in particular, uh, Jimmy was doing his routine, which basically was telling jokes uh, in between songs. And right in the middle of one of the one of the jokes, somebody yelled out in the middle of the of the showroom, "Let the Imperial sing!" <laughs> and we knew who it was. It was Elvis. It was Elvis, isn't it? And and so Jimmy kind of ignored him for a minute. And there was another quiet moment in the show, and they, he said, "Let the Imperial sing." <laughs> <laughs> So he said, um, okay, Elvis, here they are, the Imperials. So we got up and we sang a song for Elvis. <laughs> oh, that's a lovely touch. So then yeah. as, as, as kind of one door closes, another one opens, what, what then happens with your, yourself and, and the Imperials for the sort of the next decade? Is, is this a case of um, more kind of live shows and recordings? Yes, exactly. We uh, uh, we left in '71. We had some huge hits '72, '73, '74, and '75. '74 uh, 
recording was called Followed the Man with the Music, nominated for a Grammy, but it should have won a Grammy. And then we came back with No Shortage, which won the Grammy in 1975. So the Imperials were enjoying a great deal of success all over the nation, uh, as we sang to mostly colleges, Jesus festivals, Christian colleges, even secular colleges. Uh, we we enjoyed a great long run of uh, of uh, of concerts with uh, all over the nation, but. Um, I let's see. It came, came six uh, seventy six was when I decided to leave the group, and uh, but but during the time I was there, we had some huge years, mm. huge. And um, so I, I'm grateful for my time with the group. And in 1997, after all these years passed by and Elvis had passed away, uh, they came back and wanted to do. Um, an Elvis the concert and actually they didn't really know what it was going to sound like they they uh, they brought Elvis back on the giant screen and they brought the Imperials and the Stamps and the Jordanaires all on stage with the Sweet Inspirations at the Coliseum there in Memphis and they actually had um, Lisa Marie sing Don't Cry Daddy with Elvis on stage on, on the screen and uh, little did they know that the the crowd went were, were just going to go crazy over it. Mm. They didn't care that Elvis was dead. They saw him on a giant screen, and they they almost felt like he was there. So right before the show started, they they brought this long black limousine down the side of the auditorium, and they and they slowly. Uh, drove that car right down the side of the of the building where the people could see it and the music started with a 2001 odyssey and and the and the limousine disappeared behind the black curtain and then then ronnie touch started the drums on 2001 and all of a sudden the crowd came alive because there he was on the giant screen with the imperials the Stamps and the Jordanaires and the Sweet Inspirations and the TCB band. It was it was one of those nights that I'll never forget. I wish they had recorded the whole thing. Mm. I don't think they did. Did you um had you recorded or have they released any of the the Vegas live recordings with with the Imperials and the the Vegas band? Well, they have they have the one that's called Elvis. That's the way it is. Do you have that one? I'll check. I can't remember that. That's the way it is. <laughs> what what it is was uh, well, the first month we were there, they uh, they filmed the entire month, and they took the best uh, footage of every concert, and they compiled it into one long dvd that was made available for elvis fans and um that's that's really the essence of what the what the show was like when we opened in vegas and you can find that i guess on um, elvis.com i have i uh 
I, I don't have any with me, but I think uh, you can buy one at uh, Elvis.com, which will show you really what the what what it was like. When we opened in Vegas. I've got it. Yes. So this is the one that's, um, just to see if I've got the right, in the right ballpark. Um, this is the one that has, I just can't help believe in 20, yes. 20 days and 20 nights. And also a version of the Simon and Garfunkel song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters as well. Mm-hmm. Water. Which is a, right. which, yes, I do. I do remember this one. It's amazing. Right. Yes. Well, I, and Poke. Salad, Salad Annie, which is quite an extraordinary kind of beefy song, isn't it? I love the tempo change in that and the lyrics. Elvis is the only artist that I know of who could cover Bridge Over Troubled Waters, sung by Simon and Garfunkel, and actually make it a better song. Yes, this is true. And he cut uh, Tony Joe White's song, uh, Poke Salad Annie, he made it a better song than Tony Joe White made. Yeah, that's a that's a great song, but it's quite it must be quite tricky to sing actually, pull that one off actually. Oh well no, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll be listening to this and um thinking of you at the same time, obviously. But the, but during those periods when you weren't in the band, were you still singing in in, in any other groups or had you were you was it mostly back in, in the church and, and um in in or in your community? Well, I was with the Imperials until 1976. Yes. And so, uh, after that, I, I, I traveled around with my sister for a year uh, singing in churches. One of, the, uh, one of the concerts we did, we were invited to go to Calcutta, India to sing for a missionary in Calcutta, India, Dr. Mark Montaigne. And we were there for two weeks for a Christmas celebration. During our time in Las Vegas, I'm in Las Vegas, in Calcutta, we happened to run, walk by the home of Mother Teresa. We knocked on the door, and a sweet little lady came to the door, and we said, is it possible that Mother Teresa is there? She said, yes, she's here. So she came out. She's very polite. She bowed, shook her hand. We had a picture made with Mother Teresa. And uh, so had some exciting times there with my sister for a year. Yes. And after that period of time, I joined, I formed another group called Andrus Blackwood and Company. We had a nine-year run, and we had a number of huge successful songs that were on the radio. So I've had nine years with the Imperials, a year with my sister, and then nine years with Anders Blackwood and company, and then two years with a group called Friends Four back in the late 90s, two of the best recordings I've ever done. And then we started the Elvis the Concert series. That lasted about five years, and that took us all the way to Australia and Japan and all of Europe and London and Paris and uh, all the major European cities. So I've had a very exciting life, and, and I'm, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I'm, I'm, it sounds ex- absolutely extraordinary. I mean, if there was anything that you could have just whispered to your 16-year-old self starting now, is there any, any little word of wisdom or, or some sort of 
Yes, it doesn't have to say, you know, it could be something like, oh, yes, keep doing that because that's a good idea. Or, oh, yes, do do sort of think about this or, oh, by the way, do check that out. I mean, is there any, you know, having the experience of being around for quite a few decades and meeting so many people and being involved with so many people, I just wonder if there would have been some, a few words of wisdom that you might have just kind of imparted. Well... I, I feel like God has directed my life the entire time because I I basically was raised very shy and I really didn't want to sing in front of people and I didn't want to work in Vegas. I didn't want to sing with the Imperials. I was a reluctant singer and a reluctant entertainer and I guess God knew he could trust me because he chose me to be one of the singers that sang behind Elvis. So I don't know how to describe what I was feeling, except to say that I'm very grateful to God for the, uh, for the doors that he opened for me. And I've tried my best to be faithful to him and, and let him uh, know how much I appreciate what he's done for me. I, I'm not being a prude, but I never drank. I never smoked. I had no desire to do any of that stuff. I don't know why you have to drink to get to have a good time. I have a better time when I'm sober. So <laughs> yes. I, I just enjoy, I just have enjoyed uh, every door that's been opened and I'm grateful for every, every opportunity that's been given to me. Yes. And did you, as I say, yes. I mean, did has, has that sort of faith, has that sort of held held you together during the sort of some of the you know sometimes the trickier periods of life I just wondered if there was times where you really had to draw on on sort of your relationship with God to to sort of keep it going when when things are looking a bit difficult or a bit tricky well I've had some rough times I got COVID last year and thought I was going to die and um couldn't sleep I couldn't, I could barely put one foot in front of the other. And I, I really thought I was going to die. I've I've had very difficult times in my life. I've never, but I have never doubted the faithfulness of God to see me through it. And now I feel like, I mean, people say to me, uh, how, how do you do it? Well, I do it because God Put me here, and I feel like I have a responsibility to give him my very best every time. That's why I don't just sit down and watch TV and get fat. I'm <laughs> I'm out. I'm singing. I'm uh, I mowed the yard yesterday. I'm active. I'm always doing things, and uh, I'm very uh, appreciative to God for every opportunity He's given me. Yes. Absolutely. And did you, I mean, just kind of one of those thoughts, I just wonder if it ever came, you know, came into your mind. Did you ever feel you'd wished you could have been with Elvis a bit longer, you know, during that 70s period? I just wonder if you thought you could have possibly given him a bit more direction or helped him a bit more as he, things started to get a bit difficult for him towards, you know, 76, 77. Well, I actually do feel like we should have stayed longer i think we would have been a better influence on him music would have been better 
uh, a lot of things would have been better if you'd have if we'd have just stayed. But it wasn't my decision. No, you know, I at that time I was just a hired hand, an employee, and I had to go where the where the guys said go. But I do think that had we stayed with Elvis, things would have been better for him. He would have had better influences in his life, and he might have made better decisions. Yes. It's hard not to think that, isn't it, really, at times? Mm-hmm. Tricky one. So... So with your, just just slightly, you've done quite a few solo albums and you've done anthologies as well. Is there any plans coming up or in the next couple of years of doing any more kind of recordings? Yeah, we just, we just finished a recording that we're, uh, we're, we've already released it. It's called The Way and it's available at our website at uh, www. Let's see, www.terryblackwood.com. It's, uh, but we're still recording and doing as many uh, shows as we can and um, grateful for every opportunity. Yes. I think COVID has made it more difficult, more difficult, but uh, we're still, we're still uh, determined to uh, share our music with the world. Absolutely. Indeed. And that was me in conversation with Terry Blackwood, talking about his life in music, working with Elvis Presley and also the Imperials. A massive thank you for giving me the time for that interview. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show, you'll find it. Keep it positive, keep it nice, keep it groovy. Um, And also all these interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.